Deep Cover Patriot does not endorse terrorism or violence. The United States Constitution and the Bill of Rights provide remedies for redress of grievances. Look to the founders first for guidance on the preservation of the Republic. Hello, patriots and other interested parties. May the presence of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, be in every part of your life. Today is Sunday, March 27th, 2022. I am Deep Cover Patriot and the Republic stands. Hello, friends. People have been asking me what's going to happen. In answer, I decided to look at history and the zeitgeist, the general intellectual, moral, and cultural climate of our time. Well, there are a few others who have recently done this, and one of them is Gonzalo Lira, also known as Coach Red Pill. Lira is in Kharkov and posts reports on video of the city and what's going on there, as well as commentary from his perspective as an expat living in Ground Zero. Part 1 on the ground in Ukraine. In the following, I borrow extensively from a too-long-didn't-read post by Litera, aptly named Effort Post. So this is what's going to happen geopolitically. We sanctioned Russia as hard as we possibly could, openly trying to break the Russian economy. Most of our vassal states in the West followed along. India and China have not. Now we are threatening India and China with sanctions of their own unless they join the United States in punishing Russia. Paradoxically, America's bullying tactics against both countries will wind up making them the best of friends. India has exceedingly good relationship with Russia for several decades. They will not jeopardize it because of the Americans. So in retaliation for not doing what they want, the U.S. will sanction India. It will be what Alexandra Mercurius calls the sanctions escalator, little by little at first, random officials here and there, and then slowly targeting the entire Indian economy. As far as China is concerned, America has started this sanctions escalator, and the Chinese are under no illusions. But for China, Russia is much more important than the United States. China has spent over 25 years deliberately and consciously deepening its relationship with Russia. China views Russia as a primary partner and will, under no circumstances, jeopardize that relationship. That's why China will never sanction Russia. So, China will take on American sanctions, but China realizes something crucial. The United States needs China much more than the other way around. China and India have long had border disputes. Because of this American pressure, the two countries are now quickly resolving these border issues, especially water rights issues. Both of them realize that in order to resist American pressure, they must become allied. So very quickly, a new super alliance will form between Russia, China, and India. Iran, which has strong relationships with Russia and blossoming relationships with China, will inevitably join this partnership. If these four countries decide to cut out the West, Europe will not have gas for electricity and heat and no customers for its cars and exports. And we will see that no one wants our dollars, so our financial architecture will completely collapse and the U.S. will find itself in the biggest depression of its history. Something to remember, the U.S. needs China, Russia, India far more than the other way around. Our hollowed-out industrial base means that it does not produce anything. It needs products from Russia, China, India, and yet it is the United States which is busy alienating precisely those nations that it most needs. The U.S. has broken with the Russians. There is now a sanctions 
Putin's moat between Russia and the West. If the US and Europe does this with China and India, the West will sink, our economy completely shattered. And this new Eurasian bloc will become the literal center of the earth. Through sheer incompetence, or by design, the United States is about to collapse. I am not being hyperbolic. This is what is happening right now. By the end of 2023, there will be catastrophic hyperinflation, over 50% unemployment, mass food shortages, and no gasoline in the United States of America. I predict by the end of 2022. Don't believe me? Watch. So I guess my take on this is, yes, that seems to be exactly where we're headed. Part two, lessons from Napoleon. Let's talk about Napoleon and Russia. No, not the failed invasion that led to Napoleon's downfall, but a battle 10 years earlier. One of Napoleon's greatest victories was the Battle of Austerlitz, also called the Battle of the Three Emperors, in which on December 2nd, 1805, Napoleon's 68,000 troops defeated almost 90,000 Russians and Austrians. The battle took place near Austerlitz in what is now the Czech Republic. In order to lure the Allies into battle, Napoleon gave every indication in the days preceding the engagement that the French army was in a pitiful state, even abandoning the dominant Pratzen Heights near Austerlitz to create a trap. This was the plain upon which Napoleon would defeat his enemies, after drawing them to his own killing fields. Napoleon did many things besides a strategic withdrawal from the high ground to set a trap. He also had soldiers from his army defect to the Russians and the Austrians to give them disinformation about the number of French killed and wounded, the state of French munitions, and an alleged appalling lack of ammunition. Unknown to the Allies, Napoleon also had tens of thousands of troops at the ready in hiding. Add to that the pretend withdrawal of many troops, the bogging down in the mud of French cannon caissons, and you have an alliance that is convinced that they can easily take Napoleon out. When the Allied armies went north, Napoleon sent his army north in pursuit of the Allies, but then ordered his forces to retreat so he could feign a grave weakness. He then deployed the French army below the Pratzen Heights and deliberately weakened his right flank, enticing the Allies to launch a major assault there in the hopes of rolling up the whole French line. A forced march from Vienna by Marshal Davout and his three corps plugged the gap left by Napoleon just in time. Meanwhile, the heavy Allied deployment against the French right weakened the Allied center on the Pratzen Heights, which was attacked by the four corps of Marshal Soule. With the Allied center demolished, the French swept through both enemy flanks and sent the Allies fleeing in a state of chaos, capturing thousands of prisoners in the process. When the Allies then launched their main attack with 40,000 men against the French right to cut them off from Vienna, Marshal Louis de Vaux's corps of 10,500 men resisted this attack. The Allied secondary attack on Napoleon's northern flank was repulsed. Napoleon then launched Marshal Nicolas Soul with 20,000 infantry up the slopes to smash the weak Allied center on the Pratzen Plateau. Soul captured the plateau and with 25,000 reinforcements from Napoleon's reserve, held it against the Allied attempts to retake it. The Allies were soon split in two and vigorously attacked and pursued both north and south of the plateau. They lost 15,000 men killed and wounded and 11,000 captured, while Napoleon lost 9,000 men in total. The remnants of the Allied army were scattered. Two days later, Francis I of Austria agreed to a suspension of hostilities and arranged for Alexander I to take his army back to Russia. If that sounds familiar, it is, and I'll explain why at the end of the next segment. Part 3. Our Possible Future On March 22nd, Fred Watson Jr. posted an essay called Stop with the Red Dawn Fantasies. I have excerpted much of it below. 
One month into the Russo-Ukrainian war, and the world is more obsessed with it than ever. The world did not pay attention to Yemen or Ethiopia, but the media did not tell them to care. The conflict is not a police action after a steamrolling of a poorly equipped Muslim nation. The unification of the American center needed an external problem to gather around. With the non-stop media messaging, the left has memed normal Redditors into volunteering to be target practice while the right posts about Red Dong tactics. Actually, both left and right are giving advice, such as shooting out the optics of a tank with an AK like it is Fortnite. One video showed a Ukrainian hitting a tank with an anti-tank propelled weapon, only to be killed shortly once he was spotted. Redditors post on the horrors of war, even the American veterans, because war is a different beast when you do not have overwhelming firepower and total air dominance. Some Redditors are returning without even fighting, because the terms and conditions, like it's an app, are too much. Some are given guns and sent to trouble spots, and then complain that they did not sign up for that. The mismatch between propaganda-fueled emotion and reality is best displayed in a Washington Post article of the Brave International Volunteers. Adam is a 20-something from Sherman Oaks, California, who just had to fight for freedom from tyranny. Innocents are dying. The Tigrayans and Houthis did not count, but Ukraine fit the bill. This dual American-Israeli citizen went to Ukraine with no skills, but said he wanted sniper duty. Another American wanted sniper duty, was assigned to a sniper unit, and said he, quote, had never killed a man in my life, but I'm going to enjoy it, unquote. This is your brain on propaganda. This is a lifetime of Hollywood movies and video games looking for the headshot streak. Later in the article, these men complain about equipment, supplies, and the danger of missile strikes. They want the immediate adrenaline rush of the front. It is vitalism all in the service of the cause, defending the empire's goals. As far as we know, there is no organized insurgency yet. Even if there was to be an insurgency, these men would be on the receiving end of overwhelming firepower and death from above. They would be playing the role of identified target, possible goat herder, who gets droned to death. If they are concerned about missile strikes now, they should be fearful of the drone and missile capabilities when there is total air control over their heads. This is also a lesson likely unlearned for those who push Civil War fantasies. This is not Red Dawn. That was a wonderful 80s action film about plucky teenagers who became guerrilla warriors, killing Soviets with cool tricks and good supplies from friendly citizens. In a domestic fight, who is going to have all the firepower? Who will be the side shooting at armored carriers and tanks, or at least police-controlled MRAPs? This is not to say that organization may not happen. This is not to say there are not millions who would fight. A man may rise to lead an opposition. America is a very well-armed society. Will to use those arms matters as well. In 2020, the left showed they will cause terror for their goals, while the pathetically impotent and increasingly irrelevant right gave sporadic responses, if there were any, but behave as if waiting for an official email to go out that it's time to resist. There is another thing that matters, and this has been on display recently and should imprint memories into these fantasists' heads. We have seen with 1-6, the Canadian trucker convoy, and now the Russo-Ukrainian war, that the media will turn every single 
megaphone to a full blast to demonize the opposition in an unrelenting fashion until your old auntie is calling for blood. If you think those leftoids in a COVID or Ukrainian-fueled frenzy would bat an eye at wiping out a million problematic right-wingers within their borders, you are lying to yourself. The trucker convoy showed the system will not resist the urge to isolate any domestic threat, and the sanctions and other economic tools deployed against Russia show they will do it even if it inflicts pain upon themselves. If you are even tangentially connected to someone in an insurgency, the American system may freeze your money. With the actions against Russia as a template, they may even seize it. Why would anyone support you if it meant unpersoning and elimination from employment to feed their family? Add in a bit of COVID tracking and hysteria, and how is anyone going to get near you without suspicion from the authorities? Looking at opinion surveys, the COVID shots were a regime loyalty test. These are the problems, and the authorities would have weaknesses and problems as well. They would have skin in the game and face risks. It would not be a far-off fight, just as Red Dawn feels some fever dreams, it can create worries and anxieties for others who may be on the receiving end. Pablo Escobar could get through to the elite by going after their families and even supporting the execution of some elites. Terror against the masses did not matter to his opponents. Only when they were at risk did they negotiate. This is why these Red Dawn fantasies must die. It is a gruesome outcome face reality. We are not voting our way out of this, but building up power centers makes sense. We have witnessed a very unified imperial core become even more unified even while losing competency and following a psychotic ideology that prevents any correction. A crisis is coming beyond what we see now, and in those crisis moments, the way pieces on the board are arranged matters. Stacking state governments matters. Making areas inhospitable for the other matters. Your county sheriff matters maybe more than any other elected official you can vote for in November, should we be allowed the privilege of voting. Making those states strong enough to disregard federal edicts is even more important. The left does it all the time, and if the current regime were to fall today, it'd likely be replaced by a woke 1619-inspired clique than any right-wing alternative. The right needs to learn. The right needs to learn the time to start was yesterday, but there is no time better than today. Hopefully, all of the Civil War talk is concerned and meant as a warning and not a pre-game hype session. That is my hope, but I can see the casting and plots to pop culture productions like Hunter Biden. Therefore, I know that is not true. Perhaps we will have a resurgence of the esprit de corps of the Marines. I include this because one of my closest friends is a Marine. His character and spirit indicate the lasting efficiency, dedication, and patriotism of the Marines, and we will need all of them in this fight. Fun fact, Marine tradition holds that the Corps was formed in a bar. The story dates to late November 1775, when newly commissioned captains Samuel Nicholas and Robert Mullen supposedly organized the first Marine Corps muster at Tun Tavern, a popular watering hole in Philadelphia. 
The two officers are said to have lured potential Marines with mugs of beer and the promise of adventure on the high seas, and their recruits later made up the first five companies that served aboard Continental Navy ships. Though some historians maintain that a pub called the Conestoga Wagon was the more likely recruitment site, it remains a part of Marine lore to this day. The National Museum of the Marine Corps in Virginia even contains a restaurant named Tun Tavern. The reason for my mention of this is that when I hear MSM reports of how terribly the Russians are doing in Ukraine, I answer that the Russian War College studies the many invasions of Russia, from Napoleon to Hitler. Their entire war offensive and defensive posture is one of healthy paranoia and over-preparation for attack, and they are masters of the bait-and-switch, you know, like chess. The U.S. War College, on the other hand, teaches that the best offense is a good defense, you know, like football, that with military might, wars are won. Well, not necessarily. History is full of armies who were numerically challenged but won the battle and some the war. Even so, the Russian military has in the neighborhood of 10,500 nuclear warheads mounted in multiples on most of their missiles. Meanwhile, the United States' total nuclear inventory is 5,550, give or take, with around 3,800 active warheads in the stockpile and another 1,750 retired warheads awaiting dismantlement. There is one nuclear warhead on each ICBM, and almost none of our CB, or Continental Ballistic Missiles and Rockets, have nuclear warheads. The Russian warheads and delivery systems are modern, ours are 30 years old at best, and have been patched up more times than a World War II Pacific Theater Marine with 10 frontline deployments. The Russians also have a thermobaric technology, which moves a missile at supersonic speed, by using the oxygen in the air as it travels. Thus, you see the telltale burning flame like a comet when they are launched. We will need, one day soon, the combined field and strategic experience of all of the active duty and veteran men we can find. So, in the meantime, while we wait for the next big thing, which we will not be ready for, which we will not really be prepared for at 6 in the morning on a Tuesday, or midnight on a Saturday, or any time or day other than when we expect it, what to do? There is a short answer. Repent. Get right with Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Glorify God, your Father in Heaven, who has been so patient it beggars belief. Figure out of those around you who you would lay down your life for if you had to, because one day you may have to. Decide if you have what you need based upon where you are, where you'll go, and how you'll be getting there, and then get more than you need, and do it now. Tomorrow is another day. Until then, God bless you. Stay safe. Be vigilant. Pray, pray, pray. Remember to call upon the name of Jesus Christ, neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. I pray in Jesus' name, God have mercy upon me, a sinner. May God bless you, and God save the Republic. For well, we are opposed around the world by a monolithic and ruthless conspiracy that relies primarily on covet means for expanding its sphere of influence, on infiltration instead of invasion, on subversion instead of elections, on intimidation instead of free choice, on guerrillas by night instead of armies by day, 
It is a system which has conscripted vast human and material resources into the building of a tightly knit, highly efficient machine that combines military, diplomatic, intelligence, economic, scientific, and political operations. Its preparations are concealed, not published. Its mistakes are buried, not headlined. Its dissenters are silenced, not praised. No expenditure is questioned, no rumor is printed, no secret is revealed.